I, uh, I solicit you guys' prayer this morning. Uh, in a few hours, a uh, little bit later on today, I'm going to be jumping on a flight and heading to Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, and then we'll take a journey into Jerusalem, which I'll be for a few days. And I'm excited to be there. And I'm asking for you guys' prayer. First of all, I'm away from my family, so I'm always hoping that you guys can pray for that. Uh, but spending time in the place that uh, that Jesus walked and so many stories that you guys hear about that we preach about, uh, I'll get to walk those streets and talk with natives there and talk with politicians in the Middle East. So I, I pray that you guys would or solicit you guys prayer for that trip. I, I hope to come back refreshed and excited about what the word of God has to say and that we could apply that here. Well, listen, it is time for the word of God. Uh, I am getting a break this morning. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we take this moment uh, very, very serious. We take this moment of spiritual formation through the word of God. Uh, this is something that we, this is the reason we gather to hear about Jesus through the scriptures. And so I'm taking a break, but I got a, a good friend, which I consider a spiritual big brother. Uh, my boy all the way from Raleigh, North Carolina, Pastor Jerome Gay is here. And uh, let, me, let me just share a little bit of history that you guys may not know about him. Um, before this church was in existence, when this church was still a prayer and a thought, I called this man down in Raleigh and said, man, this is what I think the Lord is doing. Um, I need to be trained. I don't know how to plant a church. Uh, I need resources and I don't have any connections. And he was one of the first guys not to just say, man, we support you, but show his support and send up a check. One of the first checks I held in my hand was from this man in his church, Vision Church in Raleigh. And, uh, you know, at some point within raising support, anybody in here that's in ministry that has ever raised support, at some point it stops being about money and more about God's affirmation and God's heart uh, for what he's calling you to do. And so when I got support from this man, uh, really, it said to me, it was another affirmation that, man, I'm, I'm with you. I'm responding to the vision. And so I'm, I'm grateful for him. He also taught me what a business plan was. Had no clue. He asked me for my prospectus. I said, a prospectus? What? I spelled it wrong. I didn't even know what it was. And he sent me his back and said, man, won't you mimic this? As you start to build vision for your church, you need to make sure you have something solid. And so I'm grateful for men like this. And not only that, but he is literally, I think, one of, the most best kept secrets when it comes to being an apologist and defending the faith specifically against Pan-Africanism. Uh, this man has videos and uh, which is a big deal here in Brooklyn. If you don't know what Pan-Africanism is, you need to, to Google it. Many of our uh, brothers and sisters are being, I mean, bamboozled away from the gospel because of, uh, because of this, which is not a religion, but because of this movement. And so I'm grateful for his voice and his voice speaking prophetically into uh, this space. So why don't you guys do me a favor and, and uh, point your hand his way so we can pray for him. Before you pray for him, I see Jordan and Bree here with baby Zephyr. Amen. Let's pray for him. His sweet wife, Crystal, couldn't be with us. She's home uh, sick and caring for the kids, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for, um, for Pastor Jerome. I'm grateful personally for his friendship uh, even as we sat at dinner last night and, and, and just shared and uh, had a vulnerable place that I could just pour out. And I'm just grateful for his counsel, his pastoring. And I pray that today that you would use him for your glory. Pray that you would 
as the old saints would say, hide him behind the cross, that we may not see him, we may not hear him, we even may walk away and be like, who preached? All I know is I heard Jesus today. Pray for faithfulness in the scriptures, and Lord, would you give him boldness to shepherd us and to pastor us today. So use him for your glory. Thank you for the gospel. Woe unto us if we preach not the gospel. Confident that you're going to be preached today, and I thank you that you're using men like this to carry your word. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give him a, br- a big Brooklyn welcome, y'all. Love you, love you. Love you. Amen, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Epiphany family. How we doing? Doing good. Well, I'm glad to be before you. Grateful for this opportunity. Can we give some encouragement to your pastor and his wife? Encourage them. Amen. Amen. Yeah, my boo was under the weather. So she is in Raleigh, but I can't wait to get back to her, Shonda. I uh, can't wait to get back to her. But uh, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, let me encourage the guests, first-time guests, and say, if you are looking for a church and you're local, the search is over. Uh, this, is a, this is a great group of people here, and so I pray that this will not be your last time. They are fantastic with guests, because I'm a first-time guest, and they let me preach. So it, it, they are. I'm, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> they didn't do that, okay? I know him. I know him well. Do me a favor. Turn to the 11th book in your Bible, the book of First Kings. 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. I'm going to actually do me a favor once you find it. Uh, if you stand, we're going to read the word. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. We'll work our way up to that, but that's going to be uh, the anchor text. If you could turn your Bible to or turn your Bible on, you know, I know how it is. Up in NY. All right. It says, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he carried to, uh, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. That's in your mouth is the truth. Let us pray. God, we are so grateful for your goodness and your kindness. I'm grateful for Epiphany Church and what you're doing in this area. I'm grateful for the visionary leadership of Pastor Brandon. Uh, Right now, God, as we get to walk through the truth of Scripture, I pray that you would move me out the way, that I would preach under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be glorified. And if anyone does not know you, you would begin to draw them to yourself, God. Strengthen us. Revive us in your word that we would hear the word of God and be transformed by it, God. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer, in whom I trust. In the matchless name of Jesus, let all of God's people say amen. 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 
Uh, quick survey of the room. Uh, how many parents do I have in here? Parents, parents. All right. Well, if you are a parent, uh, I don't know the ages of your child, but I have two. My daughter is 11 uh, and my son is five. And my five-year-old, uh, you know, uh, as they get older, you know, they have to get their shots. And so uh, I took my son in to get his shots. This was a couple years ago. I took him in to get his shots. And, uh, you know, as a parent, when, they, when you know the first time they're getting their shots, you're trying to do all you can to distract them because you know what's getting ready to go down. And so I had my son here, and I knew what was about to happen. And so I'm doing a little paper airplane. I'm like, Jordan, look at Daddy. He's looking at me. And I'm like, look, look at the airplane. I'm making a little sound effects, and he's looking at me, and he's, he's smiling, looking at Daddy, and then the nurse got him, boom. And then the moment he got the shot, he looked at me like, you set me up. <laughs> and then he started to cry, and he began to reach out to me for a hug. Now, the same person that allowed his pain was the person that he came to to seek comfort. And sometimes, sometimes when you are walking with the Lord, doesn't it feel like or seem like he just sets you up? He calls us to certain places and it seems like it was a setup. And that's kind of the crux of what we're going to see today in the text. God is going to be doing something in the life of uh, the prophet Elijah, but also in this nameless widow who is in redemptive history. Uh, to catch us up, uh, Elijah's name means my God is the Lord. And so he's a ninth century prophet, and he is, uh, he is serving the kingdom of the Lord. During this time, there was a civil war that broke out, and Israel was broken up into two kingdoms. The northern was the, the first ten tribes, and the southern kingdoms, which were the remaining two of the twelve tribes. Uh, during this time, also, a guy, named, a guy raised up was raised up by the name of Ahab. Now, he was a wicked king. Each king was more wicked than his predecessor. He was the son of Omri. And, and the Bible actually says in 1 Kings chapter 6, that he had, he had done more evil in the sight of God and had ignited the wrath of God more than any king before him. And so this dude, Ahab, he hooked up with a PYT, a pagan young thing, uh, by, the name, uh, by the name of Jezebel. So he hooks up with Jezebel, and Jezebel introduced the people to polytheism. It's this belief that there are multiple gods. And so you begin to see as the text unfolds that, that they start embracing this polytheistic talk. So the things we're seeing in our culture now is not new. Uh, when we try to say that there are many ways to God rather than there just being one because that's what Jesus says. They were dealing with some of the same thing here. And what God does, God is doing something interesting because in chapter 16, uh, leading up into chapter 17, God speaks to Elijah and he brings him to this place known as the Brook Cherith. Now, what's interesting about the Brook Cherith is it literally means to break down. So God sends the prophet to a place to break him down because oftentimes that's what the Lord does. The Lord has to break us before he uses us. And what I want us to see here, when we think about this, I want us to get to see God outside the box, to think about this idea of how the Lord actually redeems our pain for his glory. So if you are in a difficult place, or if you're in a challenging place, or it seems like you just can't seem to get ahead, you take one step forward and a couple steps back, I want you to understand that God actually redeems your pain and he has a purpose for it. With that in mind, here's our big idea. I call it a thought tattoo. Listen to me. God doesn't want to get you back. He wants to draw you back. 
See, oftentimes when we're going through, we think that God is somehow trying to get us back. You do know he is omnipotent. If he wanted to get you back, he could snap his fingers. God is not trying to get us back. He he allows certain things to happen in our life in order to draw us back. And that's what he's doing in the life of this woman. And he's strengthening the faith of the prophet Elijah. I want to read 1 Kings 17. I'm going to read verses 8 and verse 12. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Verse 12, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar uh, with a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for my son that we may eat it and die. Next point, God does not pursue people based on performance. God does not pursue us based on performance. Now, this woman was ready to eat her last meal. Uh, This is almost a form of suicide in a sense. She's just thinking, like, this is it for me. This is it for my son. And God sends a prophet whom he's already beginning to break down for his glory. God has a way of doing that. God will send the most unlikely people to cross your paths in order to draw you back to himself. Within this text, we see a couple of things happening. Number one... God is sending the prophet Elijah into enemy territory. He has already told him. He told him to go to the brook Cherith. This was after proclaiming to Ahab, hey, there's going to be a three and a half year drought and you need to stop your polytheism. And God had him to be on the run. Now God is doing something interesting. He's sending him back into enemy territory into a place known as Phoenicia, which is the, the basic, the epicenter for Baalism. Now, just so we understand, uh, Baal worship, Baal was more of a title than just one God. There was a Baal of fertility. There was a Baal of medicine. That's what Jezebel brought to the scene here, this idea of polytheism. The second thing we see here is God is actually building Elijah's trust in him. God has a strange way of working, doesn't he? God tells, all right, right, Elijah, I want you to go tell King Ahab that I'm going to send a drought. He obeys. Then God says, now flee for your life. So he runs to the brook chair. Now God says, go back into enemy territory because there's a woman there. See, a lot of times we don't understand how God is actually working behind the scenes in order to bring us to a place of repentance. We don't understand what, what God is doing in our lives to bring us to a place to know him. The third thing that we see here is God reveals his love for the rejected. Because remember, don't miss this. God is working in the life of the prophet, but he's also renewing the faith that this woman does not have in him. This widow who's nameless, but we know that she's a widow and we know that she's a mother. So we know that she was married and she lost her husband and we know that she's a mom. And God is doing something. He's showing his love for the rejected. How do we know that she was rejected? Well, uh, in Jewish culture, now she's a Gentile, but in Jewish culture, if you were a woman and you could not give birth or if you were a widow, it was seen as what they called providential judgment. They believed that if you experienced a miscarriage, if you experienced a divorce, if you lost your husband, God was somehow against you. And so I want you to understand, she's dealing with the weight of this because she's a social outcast, because that's how they used to think. You see this in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, there was a young boy born blind, and the Pharisees come and they say, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus says, no, neither him nor his parents sinned, but this was done so that the power of God may be revealed. 
In other words, what I'm saying is when you are going through something, don't always think that God is against you. Sometimes God allows these things because you did the right thing. Wish I had a little bit of help. Just right there would be real good. He's doing that. Now, now, now ladies, don't get mad at me, but th this woman has four strikes against her. Number one, she's a woman. Uh, I said, don't get mad at me. I'm just talking about how they used to treat women back then. Women did not have a voice. And what's interesting is even pagan religions saw women as nothing more than baby makers. Again, don't cut your eyes at me. That's what they did. That's not what I believe. Amen. You are made in the image of God. Very valuable. We need you, boo. I'm preaching the text, all right? So she was a woman. The second thing, the second strike she had against her was she was a widow. The, the third strike she had against her is she was a Gentile. The fourth strike, I know it's typically three, but she had four strikes against her. She was a Gentile. But God pursues her. God is showing his love for the rejected. Point being, no matter how low you think you are, you are not beyond the reach of God. God is using the prophet whom he's breaking down to putting her, putting, allowing them for their lives to cross paths because he is at work. Luke chapter 4 shows this. this. This is how powerful God's love is. Let me read this. Luke 4 verse 25. It says, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, see, three and a half year drought, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to the one in Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Here's, here's what, what Jesus is confirming here. God has people on specific assignment in your life to get you back to where he wants you. This is how good God is. Jesus confirms this Old Testament story saying there were many widows, but God had Elijah for this one, for this one. God has people assigned to your life. And oftentimes, the voice of God comes in an unlikely place. Or God will use someone whom sometimes God will use people who you don't even like. Oh, somebody felt that one. God can use anyone to get you his message. The fourth thing, God rarely works in a way that fits our reason. Now watch this. A couple things that happen here. All right, God first, remember the brook Kareth, he's breaking Elijah down in order to build him up. He had Elijah eating at the hands, or the feet rather, because it was birds, of ravens. Ravens are feeding him. Now, God is having Elijah to be fed by a poor Gentile widow woman. And God is doing something. Again, God rarely works in a way that fits our logic. Not that logic should be void of faith or that logic should be separated from faith. We should be thinking Christians. But you cannot remove the element of faith. Because she now has to believe because what, what Elijah just said is, this is your last meal. Give me something. So God is using, he's providing for Elijah by a poor woman, and he's providing for the poor woman by giving. God rarely works in a way that just fits our finite minds. But then the fifth thing we see here is God provides hope for the hopeless. 
Remember, my, my main point was God doesn't pursue us based on performance. She hasn't necessarily done anything right. She's the lowest of the low. She can't bring any money to the table. She doesn't bring any necessarily giftedness to the country, uh, to, I mean, to the Lord. But yet God still pursues us because the, the root of the gospel is that God does not pursue you based on your moral resume. God doesn't pursue us based on the number of right things we've done. Let me make it plain. He doesn't care how many days you've gone without cussing. He's not, he's not, he's not, listen, it's not based on your moral resume. Your moral resume is shot. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That cancels all of us. Except the one who perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so God is, is pursuing her based on his grace. And there are countless other ones. Ruth, the Moabite woman, God used. Rahab, the prostitute, God used. Bathsheba, even God redeemed that situation. God doesn't pursue us based on performance. And, you know, that's one of the things I got wrong because I used to believe that as long as my good outweighed the bad, oh, God was going to let me in. But, you know, the problem with that, you can't have that philosophy without comparing your righteousness to others. So it breeds, uh, or it bred rather, self-righteousness. And so God is revealing all of that here. Keep going. Verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, say but first. Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. Hop down to verse 15. And she went and did as Elijah said. And uh, I'm sorry, and she and he and her and the household, they ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word that the Lord spoke by the prophet Elijah. Now, if you just read this, now, can, can we be honest for a second? That sounded real grimy. <laughs> now, now, let me help me in case you missed it because, because here's what Elijah said. All right, before you go do what you're going to do, Make me a pancake right quick so I could, uh... <laughs> now, now, she said, I'm getting ready to have my own, my last meal with my son. Elijah says, go do that, but first, hook a brother up with a pancake right quick. You know, the prophet is kind of hungry, and, I mean, and I'm saying that with love, right? But as he keeps reading, you know, like God is actually doing something behind the scenes. So the, as you keep reading, it redeems, because Elijah is sounding real grimy right now. Give me a pancake, then die. No, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Amen. That's not what he's saying. He's bringing it back in. But here's what's happening. This is why I'm calling this God outside the box. Through that little interaction, he's revealing some boxes that we restrict the Lord to, especially when it relates to how we encounter suffering, pain or difficulty. The first one is the box of priorities. Notice what Elijah says. He says, but first. That but first is actually dealing with her priorities. Baal has failed her. Her husband is now gone. I don't know how he lived. He's not there. You cannot put your trust or your faith in man. And so what Elijah does, he says, but first, because what the Lord is doing, he is revealing her inordinate priorities. Because we fall into the same trap. We put so many things and people before the Lord. And so what the Lord has to do, the Lord allows some pain in order to get our attention to bring us back to our knees so that we can pray to him. Oh, let me make it plain. Remember how you prayed for that job? For that job? Oh, come on. I got an interview. Pastor, pray with me. And you get it. Now you're praying to stay there because you don't like the people you work with. 
Pastor, remember how we prayed for that job? Pray that the Lord move me to somewhere else. And in Jesus' name, Lord, I just feel like the Lord is calling me to a new place. No, he ain't. The Lord called you right there. Stay your behind there. Remember how we prayed and you and God came through. And so see how we do that? But see, our priorities. Now see, or but the other side is this. The moment we get it, we forget him. We're praying real hard for the interview. We're praying, but the moment we get the offer letter, where you at in group? What happens? Oh, let me come on down to your neighborhood. Oh, you, you just praying. Oh, I'm single and I'm content. I'm good. Okay. Here come the dimples. Nice smile and all that. Where's she at? Outward Bay. <laughs> and no one sees you anymore. And so God has to reveal our inordinate priorities. But first, God will bring you to a but first moment to show you how you are putting things before him. So he says, oh, but, but first, before you take care of yourself, you need to give God the glory. So I know you're not used to this, but even though it does not make sense for you to give me a meal when this is your last meal, you are ready to die. And Elijah has the nerve, the audacity, the unmitigated goal to say, hook me up first. That's what God will do. God will say, hold, hold, hold up, hold up. Make sure God isn't just first, but that he's central. So that everything revolves around him. The box of priorities. The second box is the box of self. The box of uh, priorities reveals the true motivation of our heart. So now when he says this, but first, what he's saying is, see, this, this is the essence of what it means to be a believer in the Lord. Is Jesus is first. Jesus is central. Everything is around him. So I want to be what he wants me to be. My dreams then become his will. Not, Lord, bless my will. I pray to you to co-sign on my will. No, Lord, what is your will for me? What are you saying to me? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? So he says, but first, then he, he challenges her, hey, sow or give, rather, to the prophet Elijah. The third box is the box, uh, the box of circumstances. Now, here's the thing. We already read this. God has met her natural needs. The food kept coming. The oil, it, it, it did not run dry. But you know the problem? The problem is too many of us would be happy if the story stopped there. We're happy if the Lord just meets our natural needs. But she has a deeper need. See, that, that's, that's why we can't get so hung up on miracles. Yeah, miracles are great, but salvation is greater. See, if, if God meets my natural needs, but I do not know him, there's nothing to celebrate. So he can heal me and I can walk, but have I put faith in him? So he's met her natural needs, but God is still at work. Yes, I'm meeting your natural need. But there's more. That's why all of the miracles in the New Testament actually point to something greater. The physical healing was supposed to point to a spiritual healing that we need, and that is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And here's the thing. Here's the, the, God will allow certain circumstances to reveal, hey, God is no longer central. Your boyfriend is. God is no longer central. Your children are. God is no longer central. Your career is. So because I'm a lovingly, I'm a lovingly let you catch him. You sitting here crying, not eating for three weeks. 
And God said, I allowed it because I wanted to show you no one can love you like I can. And the same way I did with my son, I allowed the pain because I love him. He needed the shot. You need the shot. You can trust your heavenly father that what he allows, he is at work. Quick question, to di- just diagnostic question to show us if our priority is in the right place. If God gave you a blank check and the blank check was a, a, a spiritual blank check that says he will answer all of your prayers. Real quick question. Would somebody get saved? If God gave you a spiritual blank check to answer all of your prayers, would somebody get saved? That's how we can know. If we think God exists for our will, our dreams, our vision, or do we exist for his glory? Do we exist for his glory? And don't get get it twisted. God is concerned about our physical condition. God is concerned about our physical health. But he's more concerned about where we spend eternity. He's more concerned about that. Now, after this, as we transition to uh, 17 through 24, after experiencing this beautiful miracle, a tragedy hits. Isn't that like our lives, right? It seemed like, God, you had a wonderful worship experience. You was worshiping, hands was lifted, tears was coming down. Like you, you felt a tangible display of the Lord and the enemy, the devil, is at, on your couch with a black and mild, like, how was church? Yeah, he smoked black and mild. I don't know if you knew that. That's in 1 Jerome 3.8. That smoketh black and mildeth. No, but you, you have this beautiful experience, right? A beautiful experience with the Lord, this wonderful experience with the Lord, and here comes another trial. Here comes another trial. You know why? Why does God allow that? Because this place is not our home. We're supposed to long for a place, but here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing about the Lord. Pain does have an expiration date. Oh, that's shot worthy. Pain has an expiration date. And so even though, watch this, I want us to see what God is showing us in these next few verses here. I'm just going to read verse 18. We've already read 17 through 24. Her son has no breath left in him. In verse 18, it says, and she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? Now, let me pause right there for a second. Uh, We need to understand, when you read the Bible, um, you need to understand the historical, grammatical, all that good seminary stuff. But but it's really important to also try to think about the emotional context. I don't think she was monotone. O man of God. And and what's funny, ladies, why do y'all do that when you're mocking men? O man of God. O, you big now. My wife would do that to me. Oh, pastor. <laughs> Y'all got that from her, didn't you? Oh, you missed the bill. Oh, man of God. Why would you do this to me, right? Just a little point right there. She said, you have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. Please don't miss that. 
And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stressed himself upon her three times, say three times, and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, again, I'm sorry, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives, verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Last thing, God's repulsion leads to his loving response. God's repulsion leads to his loving response. Response. Now, I want you to see something. This is pointing us. The Old Testament is a big finger pointing us to the New Testament. Jesus testifies to this. He says, everything written in the law and the prophets and the writing testifies about me. In other words, the entire Old Testament is pointing us to him. Now, I want us to see something here because this is a beautiful depiction and display of the gospel. But the first thing I want us to recognize is, again, your pain is not always punitive. Stop thinking that you're going through something because of something you did in 98. Remember, God does not want to get you back. He wants to draw you back. So she says in verse 18 that that Elijah wants to bring my sin to remembrance. Don't miss that. What she's saying is, is this tied to some wrong I've done? Is, Is God getting me back by taking my son? Some of us think that way. When tragedy happens, we have to assign blame to someone. And typically it is ourselves, and then we go deeper and deeper into depression, and so our walk with God is no longer joyful. If I don't have the right view on my pain and the right view on why God allows things, when things happen, I assume that God is against me. Naomi did the same thing in the book of Ruth. She wanted to change her name to Mara, which means bitter, Because things begin to happen. Change me. I'm I'm bitter at God. But here's the beautiful thing that when things happen, even if we're upset, if you go to God, you went to the right person. That's that's what the Psalms are. The the, the Psalm, man, it's a a song where David say, Lord, strike the jaw of my enemies. David is being uncut with God. He's going through and he writes these imprecatory Psalms saying, Lord, Lord, I'm angry. But I know you're at work. Lord, I'm confused. Why would you allow this? But I know you're at work. I know you're at work. Listen, our sin doesn't keep us from having access to God through faith. It's our minds. So that's the last box we can find him to is that box of suffering. But here's the thing. Here's what I want us to see. Christian, please don't miss this. What does Elijah do when she loses her son? Because see, too too, too many Christians, I've been in ministry for a little bit. And too many Christians blow it when even a non-believer is suffering. Notice what Elijah did. He didn't go into, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. That's not the quote you need to hear when you lose your child. Can we be real for a second? Everything. Now, I don't need to hear that right now. Did did, did he go into some uh, lesson on theodicy, the reason of evil and suffering? No, he didn't do that. Did he do anything? No. What did he do? He simply prayed. Christian, you don't need to try to answer the, you don't need to try to be the answer to the person suffering. You don't need to try to help them figure it out. You just need to be there and pray that the Lord will comfort them. And so what Elijah does is he just prays to the God because he's like, God, 
What are you doing? She made me a pancake. It was good. She gave me a room to stay. My name's me. My name is my God is the Lord. And you took her son. What does Elijah do? He, he, he shows her compassion. Also, he allowed her to vent. Is there any correction here? Oh, don't scream at me, woman. No, you just lost your son. You have a right to be upset. You have a right to be confused. You have a right, uh-oh, to question God. But just because you don't understand the purpose, it doesn't mean that there isn't one. And we got to let people wrestle. When tragedy happens, I don't need Bible study. I might just need a hug. Can you do that, Christian? Can you just hug a brother? I might. Again, we need to get back to the word. Don't get me wrong. The, yeah, the, the word is the answer, but, but I don't need a Bible study lesson. I just need to be able to vent and let you know right now I'm not well. Because of what my father allowed to happen, I don't get it. But I trust him. But I'm wrestling with trusting him. And we see this here. So Elijah prayed to God. But not only that, he did three things, and I love this. Number one, he takes her son from her. The second thing is he, he places her son on the bed that he was sleeping on. He's, he's not, the son is not on his bed. The son is on Elijah's bed. Then he stretches over him. Now, again, th- this is a beautiful depiction of the gospel because here's what she's saying. In verse 18, what she's saying, do I have to pay for my own sin? Does my son have to pay for my sin? Read verse 18. Is this happening? Is God bringing up my sin, reminding me of my sin? Is this why this is happening? And what does Elijah do? Elijah, he takes him, he he takes the boy to a higher place, upper chamber. He stretches out over him. And then he does this three times. Now, again, the Bible is a big finger. It is full of what we call typologies, types and shadows, ultimately pointing us to the true Elijah, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, King Jesus. And so, and don't miss this. This is the first time in all the Bible that someone is resurrected. And the first time in all the Bible that someone is resurrected, there is substitution, there is the number three, and there's resurrection. And so what is happening here is pointing us to something. So when he stretched over him, that symbolized substitution. He was saying, I want to take the boy's place. And so he stretched out over the boy. How many times? Three times. How many days was Jesus in the grave? Three. So it's pointing us to something. He's saying, I'm going to stretch out over this boy because a couple thousand years later, Jesus is going to be stretched out on the cross and he's going to exchange places with us. And so it's showing us the beautiful, the essence of the gospel is Jesus in my place. Elijah said, I'm going to take his place. And when I take his place, life is restored. That's the essence of the gospel. But last thing here, so you don't miss the essence of the gospel. How does this woman come to faith? Through the death and resurrection of a son. Through the death and resurrection of a son, she says, now I know that not only you, but the word you speak is the truth. Oh, Jesus. Y'all need to be Pentecostal for one moment right there. <laughs> just, just, I know this is New York and y'all are hip and, and trendy, but he's been good to you. You need a won't he do it moment right there. 
It's through, it's through the death and resurrection of a son that her faith is restored. And it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we are redeemed. Epiphany family, God is not trying to get you back. He just wants to draw you back. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the essence of your word. I thank you for the truth of your gospel. I thank you, God, that you are a good God. You are a faithful God. And you treat us better than we deserve. And so I pray that if someone is in a difficult place, remind them that not all of their pain is punitive, Lord. That you do have a purpose. And it's to bring us to a place of total dependence. To rid us of our false idols so that we stop depending on ourselves. We were placed not only saving faith in you, but all of our hope, all of our trust would be in you. I just want to pray. I just want to pray over the Epiphany Church family right now, God. Would you meet the needs? Would you give a sense of comfort? Would you give a sense of peace where it's needed right now? Would you give a sense of clarity to those that are confused right now? Would you do that by your spirit? So we thank you, God, for your word in Christ's name.